0: What a privilege it is to uh, bring the word of the God word of God to the people of God. We need each other. It is in community that we remind each other of God's goodness, His past, faithful, past faithfulness, and tell one another that He will be faithful now. It's in community that we give generously to one another. It's in community that we pray. It's in community that the Lord will prove Himself mighty to save. It's a powerful quote. They're not my words. Does anybody know who said that? Maybe Amanda. <laughs> That's a, that was from Amanda's sermon last week. Uh, very much, yeah, I should see who remembered that. Huh? Uh, I <laughs> very much, a, for me, that was a very powerful quote. Uh, it, so, you know, that sermon was about Christ and the li- uh, well, Satan and the lies that he brought Christ in the wilderness. And, um, and that alone, Christ stood against them. But that we, as a community, face Satan together as one body. Um, and that's, that, and that's, that's true. That's where we are. We don't journey alone. We, we, we face evil together. But oh, is it ever hard to be with the people of God. It's not all fun and games to be one body together. I think, again, to last Sunday, Stephanie reminded us in her children's moment that we're all dust, right? As, as we learned in Ash Wednesday again. Um, yes, we are dust, we are human, but dust is something that gets in your eyes and in your nose, right? It's annoying, right? So too, at times, to the people of God. In fact, I want to propose to you today that committing yourself to a church, to the people, to the actual, real, embodied people of God, that itself is a Lenten discipline and one that I want to encourage us to today. And not, not necessarily an easy one, either. We see today in Genesis 15 that God radically commits himself to the people of God, to create a people. And we follow God truly when we too commit ourselves to his people. Let's take a closer look at our, our reading from Genesis. And Stephanie's already kind of prepared the ground here. Uh, this is the Abraham story. I might call him Abraham. It's just going to come out. <laughs> I, can't do, I don't know if I can do Abram the whole time. Uh, God begins here in this story creating for himself a people who will trust him and worship him in spirit and truth. And when Abraham was called by God, he was no young pup, right? He was 75 years old. That's when God calls him out of his homeland. And then just to reiterate that, that promise from Genesis 12, this is what God promises Abraham. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a beautiful promise, right? That Abraham will get descendants and these descendants will get a land and not only will they be a blessed, but be blessed, but they'll be so blessed that their blessings will pour out on all the nations of the earth. It's something that a nomad three thousand years ago, this is like, or actually, what four thousand years ago, that's all a nomad could hope for. This is like the best par- promise possible. Uh, so Abraham takes God at His word, leaves his homeland, travels. Um, and then we get, Gen- we get chapter 13, chapter 14, years are going by, there's some wars, some travels, he ends up in Egypt. Um, he's over 75 years old at this point and childless. How will his descendants become a great nation if they don't even exist? Right? And so our chapter begins. God again appears to Abraham and says, Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham responds, "O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Right? And that's, that's the problem. How can he have descendants? He's 75 years old. It's almost like, it is, I can't really tell what Abraham's asking here. Maybe he's saying, you know, you haven't given me what you originally said, so you do, what else do you have to offer? Like, what's, what's the next promise that's coming? What is this great reward? Uh, and, and, you know, also without descendants, the, the promise of land is kind of not that great either. Because basically, for Abraham, what you need, you need descendants to live in the land, to cultivate it and to offer it back to God. Uh, so you need descendants, but you also need a land for them to live in. So with land without descendants is no good. Descendants without a land, no good, right? And so, uh, so Abraham's waiting on God. What is this, this new promise? But God's promise, his original promise, still stands. And he tells Abraham, your very own child shall be your heir. God says, look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. So shall your descendants be. There's just a, f- a few hobbies in scripture that are, are recommended by God, right? One of them, I'm really proud to say, is bird watching. In Matthew six twenty six. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, which I take is a command to bird watch, right? <laughs> and here we get another one, stargazing. He says, look up at the sky and count the stars. There's nothing quite like looking up at the sky in rural South Dakota on a cold winter night. It can, it can take the breath right out of your throat. Uh, it's not, you know, It's not like there's a star here and there pointed throughout the sky, it's like they're painted in strokes. It's just, it's beautiful. And you really, you really could never count them. I mean, I'm told that there's over 100 billion of them in our galaxy alone. So, neither could Abraham, this elderly man with no children, fathom the wealth of descendants who would bear his name as children of Abraham. Abraham believes God, and it says that it's counted for Abraham as righteousness. And like, like Steph said, God is the one who created these billions and trillions of stars. He can certainly raise up children for Abraham, and Abraham does believe him. And God could have left it at that. He could have said, Abraham, I'm going to give you children. Believe it or leave it. No more questions. I don't want to hear any more questions, (laughs) right? Uh, But God is kind when he deals with his people. He not only gives words, promises, but like as Steph said, he certifies his promises with covenants. And god makes a covenant that's that's the rest of our chapter more or less with in genesis 15 is he's creating a covenant with abraham if sophia fulkerson were up here i would have her tell us what is a covenant in youth she always has that answer ready to go if you ask her she says a covenant is a relationship with god that he establishes with us and guarantees by his word so this this covenant is first and foremost a special relationship between Abraham and his descendants and God. Um, and, then, and then he certifies it with his word, right? And often there's a sign or a ritual that goes with it. So that way his people have something to cling to or to remember. In this case, we have a ritual sacrifice. So God commands Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abraham does it. He slaughters the animals, cuts them in half, arranges them in an aisle of some sort. Um, it seems for a little bit, nothing happens. The vultures come, they're preying on the, on the meat, so Abraham has to shoo them away. And eventually, Abraham falls asleep, and there's a great darkness on the scene. Abra- God then speaks to Abraham again, and he reiterates his promise. He says, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. Again, we have the land and the descendants. Land for the people to live in and worship and descendants to give that land back to God. And as God pronounces his promise, his own likeness in the form of a pot of fire and smoke passes between the animals and so the covenant is ratified. If that whole sacrifice ritual business is mysterious to you, I get it. It's a little different than the sort of thing we do today. Um, And I I was reading commentaries. Calvin said, what did he say? He said, um, I confess I do not know why he was commanded to take the three kinds of animals, and besides the birds. (laughs) And I shall not be ashamed to acknowledge my ignorance. So I feel that felt a little bit like it was for me when I started reading this. Um, but we might be able to say a little, bit, a little bit more than that. At least we can say, uh, some people have pointed out, that this, what happens here is similar to this ancient form of oath-taking that people would do, where essentially if two parties were going to make an oath, they would cut an animal in half and walk between the pieces. And it, it meant something, li- something like, may I be like this dead cow if I do not uphold my end of the promise. So sort of like, I'm serious about this. In fact, in Jeremiah thirty-four eighteen, which is probably not, probably not hanging on your wall, God says to the leaders of the people, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they have made before we, me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then, walk between its piece, and then walked between its pieces. So you can kind of get a snapshot that this had been going on. Although that's, that's a long time later, so, uh, but in any case, it's, it seems like uh, something, like Steph said, something Abraham would understand, he would get. Um, and, there's, and then what's interesting, I think, here is that only God passes between the animals. Only he makes a promise. This is very one-sided. There's nothing really Abraham can do um, except believe. And it's messy. It's this messy business passing between the corpses of animals. Right, I, my family butchers every uh, winter. Got a pretty good idea of what that looks like. Right, to to walk between slaughtered animals. Uh, so I, I really think this is God radically committing Himself to creating a people out of Abraham one other thing i want to share about this this ritual i I couldn't find this in a commentary but it's just been it's been on my mind a lot and so you'll have to take this with a grain of salt i i wonder especially in lent as we anticipate christ's passion if there are some hints of jesus's crucifixion here in this passage right abraham falls asleep like the disciples in gethsemane there's a darkness over the scene like there is over golgotha there's a sacrifice And there's the passing through death for the sake of the people of God. So does this sacrifice anticipate the cross? I'll let you guys. You can ruminate on that a bit. But at the very least, I think we can say that when God passes through the corpses of the animals, he's radically committing himself to making, to creating a people, and that Christ, in his crucifixion, is acting radically to recreate and redeem his people. Right? As Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blem- blemish, but holy and blameless. I'm, I'm amazed at what God is willing to do for the people of God, both in the Old Testament and the New, to create a people and to perfect them. God was good and faithful to his promise to Abraham, right? Now, looking back, it's easy to see that. We know about Ishmael and Isaac and the 12 tribes. Um, In fact, you may know some children of Abraham. You know, if, if you're one, then you should go, you know, right arm, right foot, right foot, left foot, chin up, turn around, sit down. You know that song, Father Abram had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Uh, God, God kept his promises to Abraham and those, those children include not only many physical descendants, right, biological descendants, but also those who are his children by faith and are therefore full members of his people. I am one of them and so are you. This was a promise given to Abraham that he struggled to believe, right? For him it was hard to believe. Uh, for me, I can see it was fulfilled. What I struggle to trust is this Ephesians 5 promise right that christ's church could ever be radiant that it could be without stain or wrinkle or blemish that we could ever be holy or blameless abraham was waiting on god to create a people out of himself we're waiting on god to recreate and redeem us his people sometimes i struggle to believe that there ever could be one holy catholic and apostolic church as we say each sunday in the creed Because we're not one are we we divide over all kinds of things sometimes for good reasons sometimes for not good reasons you know social issues politics worship styles building projects doctrines practices neither are we holy we sin and our sins become entrenched in our habits in our relationships and our systems and because we're not one we're not catholic we exclude things and people and practices that should be included, and we include a lot that needs to be cut away. We're not apostolic, neither in our, our beliefs aren't pure, and we're not faithful to the calling that God's put on us, that apostolic calling. This is true in the ACNA, right, our corner of the Anglican world. Um, you just have to, you can just search online, ACNA 2, and you'll get a sense of, of what, what has gone on it's true and obvious at the global communion as a whole within the anglican church it seems that our our communion is is fracturing you know nobody (laughs) should join an anglican church for the global unity and harmony it's just not it's not um i mean it's it's something to aspire to but um no one um it's true also for us here at redeemer at this local level right we're not always united holy properly catholic or true to our calling and it pains it pains me to say that i love the church and i love you but i i say them because they're true right but we have good reason to hope for we stand on the promises of god have you ever noticed that we say we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church not we are one holy catholic and apostolic church why is that why do we say that we believe it not that we are it I think it's because that, though we're not radiant right now, Christ has committed himself to making us so, right? Just like when I see my own faults in the mirror or in my own soul, and I know I have hope that Christ will redeem me and make me perfect, that's, that too we can think about for the church, right? We believe it so strongly that we say it each week, that our imperfect, hypocritical church will one day be made holy and radiant through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the promise we have, a promise ratified not through the carcasses of a few animals, uh, but through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has radically committed himself to his people, to the church. And when we commit ourselves to the people of God, we follow closely in his footsteps. So no, Redeemer is not perfect. It's an imperfect people here. Um, But we're called to love and to belong to a church. So commitment to the people of God is the, is the way of Jesus, and that's, that's the Lenten discipline that I'm, in, I'm encouraging you towards today. Besides Jesus, we have many other examples, I think, of what it looks like to commit yourself to a congregation, whether that be Redeemer or, or another church. I have to brag a little bit on my father. Most of you probably don't know him, but he's 61 years old, uh, still a you know, couple decades shy of Abraham in our story. But for his 61 years of life, he has attended, nearly every week, one church. <laughs> one church his whole life. Um, that's, that's commitment. He gives regularly. He's taught Sunday school, led youth, served on various boards, sung solos, led worship. I'm sure there's periods where he wasn't really doing anything at all, not serving, I'm sure. Uh, when it snows, he drives 10 miles or so and clears snow off the parking lot. So He's seen pastors come. He's seen them go uh he's he will always be one of the first people who come to mind for me and maybe you guys know people like that people who are just even if they haven't gone to the first church the one church their whole life they're committed right uh but you don't have to go to marion to see an example like that uh and let me name some names i'm not going to be comprehensive here but i mean we just have we have examples here like our clergy like pastor ethan and pastor amanda i'm Ever, I'm ever impressed with our pastors and their, their commitment, the way they give themselves to Redeemer. I have no, no doubt, Amanda and Ethan, that your reward will be very great. Yeah. But you, you don't have to be clergy to be committed to the church, right? I think of like Joel or Lori, always here early, so other people don't have to be, always some of the last to leave, right? I think that's, that's incredible. Or Otto, who's led our prayer ministry for so many years. It's sort of a behind-the-scenes sort of thing that goes on. And many, many more of you are serving. But commitment and service aren't the same thing either. Just because you're not serving in some capacity doesn't mean you can't be committed. I think of families with young children. You're committed just by showing up. That's big (laughs) for some of you, right? (laughs) That's big. Um, I think, you know, some people come to Redeemer because they need a time of Sabbath or healing. You know, where church needs to be a place of refuge or rest. And that's okay. That's good. There's a way to be committed to the people of God, even if you're not in those, those places of serving right now. And some of you can't come in person, right? That's, just not, that's not an option right now. And there is commitment through virtual engagement, through prayer, especially prayer, through giving, through phone calls and encouragement like that. I hope that even I, in some way, have been an example for you of commitment to the people of God. Imperfect, though I may be. In college, I, I attended a wonderful little Presbyterian church about the size of Redeemer. Uh, I went with some of my close friends, so that was a lot of, you know, a lot of fun to get it, go to church together. Uh, I found the services enjoyable, but not always enjoyable. There was, this, there was this one woman there who attended regularly. We'll call her Betty. That wasn't her real name. Betty was loud, forward, a little awkward, definitely a hugger which is okay. Uh, she had the habit of like cornering you in the pew and saying something a little off and always loud enough so everybody around you heard. Right? <laughs> Have you ever tried to strike up a conversation with her, like a real one? It's like either she didn't hear you or she just didn't care. Like her responses were arbitrary or just I don't know, didn't carry things forward. Um, it, was, it was a painful moment, right? When she chose you as her pew buddy for the service. But, and as much as I found Betty unlikable, There's one thing about Betty that made having her as part of our church a total joy. And that was that Betty was loved by Jesus, and he had given his life for her. For that, you could only be glad when she walked in the door, and you could only be proud to stand next to her during communion. That, I think, is in part what the love of God looks like in us. That it's it's loving the actual, embodied, real people that God puts in your life and in your church. as as dusty as they may be. God has radically committed himself to his people, right? He's passed through the corpses of animals and through death on the cross for the sake of us sitting here together. Follow him today. Commit yourself to the people of God. See the imperfect people around you and remember that though they are dust, they are bound for a glorious eternity. And let the love of God pour out of you to these children of Abraham, worshiping with you now. May it be in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.